You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman, as always, one of the hosts of this wonderful show. And on today's podcast, we got a lot of interesting news bits to talk about as we are in the Pacers offseason, right? So a lot of big news today about head coaches. I was Adrian Wojnarowski with that direct line to either the Pacers front office or ownership or somebody in that organization because he gets every single coaching scoop about the team so far, from the D'Antoni news to the McMillan firing to the fact that today... They floated at least, what, a dozen names, but three top names floated already today have been Chauncey Billups, Dave Yeager, and Becky Heyman for head coaching jobs. We'll talk about that, as well as one of the candidates who, uh, or a coaching candidate who has now opened up, who was recently uh, not renewed by his team, and uh, some other little news bits about the coaching and my thoughts on who I think the Pacers' next coach will be, and we'll probably speculate on that a bunch as we head into so the Pacers hire a coach, which could be, you know, within weeks, days, months, who knows. Um, also, some news tidbits. The draft was moved to uh, November 18th, it sounds like, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. So uh, that will, you know, give a pretty good indication of an NBA season probably not starting until, I would say, early January at the earliest. I mean, that you know, you, you know, usually you have, what, Draft pick June, season starts October. Right? So you have four months to implement your draft picks. Obviously, it wasn't going to be this long this time around because of, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it, the way it was, the pandemic kind of threw it off, right? So you're going to have a shortened time, but I don't think you draft a guy November, let's say, 18th, and then all of a sudden um, you start the league year like December 25th. That's probably too quick of a turnaround for the young guys. At least, at least those guys won't be playing and won't be contributing, and that's not what you want. Even though it's a weak draft and necessarily like the Zion Williams level draft, uh, Still a quick turnaround for some of those guys, so interesting to see what happens with that. But first, today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. DoorDash is one of those great uh, food delivery apps that can get you pretty much any food from any restaurant, which need your support now, anytime, right? there, are, They have thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that desperately need you guys now during this time, just because you know of the restriction and whatnot, they need your help and they can... DoorDash can deliver you food in a safe and easy environment. They've got this great thing where basically you can have contactless delivery where basically you order your food, drive to the location, you pick it up. That way there's no contacts. It's no touching anybody, no being in, in near anybody. It's, it's great. And the best thing is they are in a bunch of different cities. I know we have podcast listeners from all across the U.S., Australia, some in Canada, why not? Well, they have over 300,000 different partners in U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia alone. Uh, they have everything from your local go-to restaurant to then the national chains like a Chipotle, a Wendy's, a Cheesecake Factory, things like that. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off with zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off your first delivery with zero delivery fees on any order over $15 when you download the DoorDash app today. Enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget the code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. His Locked On Pacers podcast is also brought to you by Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is one of the premier auto part online service stores there is right they have everything you could ever need from an engine control module to brake pads to tail lamps to motor oil and even a new carpet whether it's for your classic or daily driver you get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door 
RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for do-it-yourself or professionals. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? I've been saying this. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts you can get online at RockAuto.com right now? And he write in the how did you hear about us box locked on locked on that will help them know that we sent you there amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts you'll ever need rockauto.com so let's just dive into it so i'm glad i waited to do this podcast until about 11 p.m eastern because frankly we had a news drop about 15 minutes before i was a uh, big one to do this podcast wait till after the raptors uh southwest game and it kind of uh flowed right into that to the Clippers rock or Clippers Nuggets going on right now, so I'm glad I waited. And Chauncey Billups is the name. I think we'll start by talking about him and does he fit the Pacers coaching job? And this is an interesting, interesting uh, name to be floated out, right? So I believe it was it two years ago, a year ago, I believe when David Griffin left uh, the Cavs, Billups became awfully close to becoming the GM, whatever president of the Cavaliers. Um, we end up coming down to money, and he wanted more than. They were willing to offer him. The Cavs are notoriously known for wanting to basically pay their GMs on the cheap. And uh, Griffin obviously wanted big money because he put together that great championship team. And Bills wanted to be paid like a, you know, a good GM who are, in fairness, are not paid as much as we think they are. Right? They're not, you know, the top ones maybe make a lot of money, but a lot of the middle tier ones don't make nearly the amount of money as the coaches and players make, obviously. So Billups, great resume, right? Uh, MVP. NBA Finals MVP, Pacer fans know him well from the early 2000s when he's his Pistons uh, frankly dominated the Pacers for the better part of four or five years. Uh, Woe said he kind of fits the profile of the Pacers, you know, ownership, front office slash, right? They had Isaiah Thomas as the head coach, they had Larry Bird as the coach. I would, I would argue really, you know, I would say Larry Bird was successful, but I'm not sure. I think Larry Bird's success had more to do with the team he had than like exceeding, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he exceeded the the uh, value of the team, let's put it that way, right? I think the team was pretty freaking good. Now, he got Jalen Rose to a level that I think uh, Larry Brown couldn't before him, but the team was a really well-constructed team in a weaker league, um, and so I think, you know, if you had taken a team with any average coach in the 98-2000 range, they probably still would have made a conference final or two, which they did. Um, maybe they would have made, made it further, right? Bird kind of pushed them. He has some of that uh, championship knowledge to push them, but Isaiah Thomas kind of flimmed out as a Pacer coach. It wasn't that great. Ended up being replaced by Rick Carlisle, who was a much better coach and still is a much better coach to this day, and is still coaching the NBA. And so there's a reason that he isn't. Isaiah Thomas isn't. Uh, with with Billups, interesting kind of thought, right? Um, which his article also mentions the fact that Billups has kind of been a mentor to lots of point guards in the league, and it would make a lot of sense, right? Billups could be a really good fit for either Vic or Rodden or both in terms of development and whatnot. Um, you know, McMillan was a former point guard, so. You know, there's a history of point guards becoming head coaches. You had Steve Nash who just got hired, same concept. I mean, uh, you can get online there. It's kind of mixed results. Right? So Jason Kidd and uh, Derek Fisher, the most recent ones, both, I would say, are spotty. But then Tyron Lue is a pretty good head coach and will probably get a head coaching job again soon. Um, right? It's also been floated that, that Tyron Lue will uh, would hire Bill as his head assistant. But I think Billups wants to bypass that, right? I think Billups has the resume. He's been on TV. He's still keeping up with the game to, like, Probably get a head coaching job, don't get me wrong. Um, and the Pacers' ownership is kind of infatuated at times with former players. And, I mean, that's a big reason Larry Bird sat around here for so long. He was an okay GM. I'm not going to say he was bad. He had some runs, certainly, in the late 2010s where he really rebuilt that team. And even in the early 2000s, he did a good job. But uh, he also had good people around him, right? Donnie Walsh, uh, then Pritchard most recently, and play- people who knew what they 
we're kind of doing. Uh, the most interesting thing, right, about Bilp's name being on the list, in my opinion, is that, you know, as a Pacer fan, I kind of despise him, certainly, the way his Pistons played. You know, they goaded, I would say, round test into that whole melee thing that cost, or brawl thing that cost them. Um, basically, I shot at winning the championship in 05. So, I'm not, I mean, maybe it's, you know, bygones, we got bygones, right? We're 15 years removed. But uh, it, to me, it's interesting that Bill is emerging as a candidate. And I think it kind of shows the Pacers have a wide-ranging search, right? You look at it right now, the Pacers have, I think I can, I can name 12 candidates at least they're looking at. Um, and that's what is really interesting, too, about this whole thing is that the Pacers are definitely decided that they just kind of want to view the whole landscape, right? I think they feel like they have a good enough team that uh, that maybe he can attract a higher-level coach, right? They've got some talent, or they got Sabonis, they got Brogdon, they got Oladipo, they got Turner, they got Warren, right? There's, like, enough there to be like, oh, if I'm a coach there, I can probably win 50 games next year, if not more, right? They don't actually have the top-tier talent, like the Nets, but they also don't have the superstar that's going to get in the way, I think, in the same way that, like, you might get a Durant or a LeBron dictating the coaching more than the coaching dictates what they do, right? They're, those type of players, those big-name superstars really just want a coach that they can, I don't want to say use, but a coach who just fits their philosophy, and they are, like, the sort of thing that guides the team that lets them excel. Uh, with the hiring of somebody like Bill Ups or Becky Hammond or kind of you get more of the Brainiac-type coach, I think. You're going for more of, may not Brainiac, but a coach who will be the more of the face than just a single player, right? So it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a different kind of job. And there's a chance where the Pacers players can exceed their expectations and push you to maybe, uh, you know, like we saw the show with kind of the heat, that kind of level. Uh, the interesting, like I said before, the interesting part is this coaching search is so much more expanded than last time. When the Pacers hired McMillan, it was basically like, I think Bird basically let Pritchard do it, which basically said, go hire whoever you want. And Pritchard chose his guy, McMillan, who had been on the, the roster. I think probably getting rid of Vogel was a little bit of a – quick move, right? I don't think I would have done that if I was the Pacers, to be honest, in hindsight. You keep Vogel, you rebuild. Clearly, the issue wasn't Vogel with Paul George. Um, but I think what's obvious is maybe there was so many external pressures forcing Bird, right? There was the the fact that they had really underachieved and was that Vogel or Paul George's fault the fact they wanted to keep PG, and so PG maybe didn't want to play for Vogel or whatever. I don't know. But something along those lines, but also at the same time, Bird was, had one foot out the door, was ready to leave. He'll leave within a year or two. So uh, just a lot of competing factors there. Um, that sort of screwed up that one. And this is kind of a chance to kind of restart. Um, the question I have, though, is how much uh, the ownership will play in this hiring, right? And that is what I want to talk about next because I think that is the most interesting thing going on right now is ownership and how they could dictate who the Pacers hire. So as we all know, Herb Simon is the owner of the Pacers. Uh, doesn't have the most, uh, doesn't have the best history in being an owner willing to spend a ton of money. Uh, I'm not going to say he, like, doesn't, right? He has had been in the luxury tax before or above the salary cap in terms of those Pacer teams when they were really competitive in 03-04. Um, he certainly has shut up max contracts for guys like Paul George and Roy Hibbert at the time, and those were different maxes for a lot less than what it currently is. But, he, you know, this year he maxed out the salary cap. He paid the most he could pay, right? I mean, obviously there could be more. And, you know, when we get to the—you know, the Pacers really aren't near the tax and probably won't be for a few more years. Uh, so, and he, you know, he even went out and signed Brogdon to a big contract. His son always played, right? He's re-signed to bonus, re-signed to right? There hasn't been any movie say, well, he hasn't willing to pay for a guy, right? Like, he, I think he was going to offer P, PG the, the uh, designated player extension if it had been there, but it wasn't. So, I don't want to say it's cheap, but there is something where they haven't paid a lot of money for coaches, right? They haven't really gone and shelled out a ton of money, and I have a feeling that this coaching round, 
no matter who they hire, will probably, unless it's somebody really small assistant giving a shot, it's going to cost them at least five, maybe even like $7 million. And the interesting thing I would say is I'm not sure money is doing this, but I think ownership's preferences, right? So you look at all the names kind of being floated through Woj, and I, I feel like those more have to do with ownership, right? Because I, I you don't really want to have a public interview of your coach, right? The fact that there's this many names on their list and it's all been leaked and whatnot, so that somebody really high up in the Pacers is just telling Woj things. And it could just be the ownership, right? And they just want to put it out there and whatever. So, I mean... I, you know, I think if you go with like a Dave Yeager, who I'm not super high on because he didn't really have that great of a success in the his last two stops, probably not as expensive as somebody like Mike D'Antoni because D'Antoni is a will be you know softer by multiple teams if he's actually uh, put out there versus Yeager probably isn't. Uh, and all those assistants will probably get some money. You know, I don't think they'll get like you know obviously D'Antoni. I think Becky Hammond is probably in line for the most money, um, at least because there's you. She's going to be sought after, and it's such a um, historic hire that there's so much, you know, you, they're just, I think she'll get the five, six million dollar range. She might not get the five years that a lot of guys are getting, but maybe she'll get three, um, something like that. Because, I mean, she is a new coach, right? You're not going to give, you know, a first year, a first time coach more than three to five years. But I think she'll kind of uh, attract that kind of money more than somebody, like I said, like if you name, you know, a couple of the Buck assistants or even somebody like uh, Chris Finch in, New, in the Pelicans and whatnot. So uh, there, there is some of that out there, right? So if, if money isn't an issue, then it does seem like ownership really does prefer a name, right? And I think that's part of it. I think there's a desire out here to, um, I guess, show they're willing to go out there and get somebody. They seem very infatuated with D'Antoni, at least ownership does. And so, if I think if he does get fired, let go, which I'm not sure he is. I mean, his Rockets team is down to one as I speak. Uh, who knows what happens in the next week or two? But they can win that series. You know, Maury might decide to bring him back if he can. Now, can ownership afford him? That's a good question. Um, but like, it, if they want to spend the money, Detroit's going to be the coach, and there might this all might be just kind of shell game, shell game. But I think Billups is somebody who, you know, is considered like brings you a name, right? And so. My preference would be somebody more of an X and O's coach, somebody who really uh, can like, like a Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens level uh, mastermind coach, right? We we've kind of seen that like what has helped, and even Eric Spolster is a good example of this. Or you throw in somebody right now, well, you know Frank Vogel was a little bit of this too. You know they're competing, right? I mean I would say five of the six coaches left. There's how many? There's seven teams. Well, no. Yeah, there's seven teams left, right? So Vogel is kind of a X and O's master. Doc Rivers isn't quite, but he's not terrible, but he's really good at managing talent, higher level talent, which they have. Uh, Mike Malone is an okay X and O guy, not not the best. Um, obviously, D'Antoni is. Spolstra is, for sure. And Nick Nurse and Brett Stevens are, right? So um, bring somebody in like that who can really succeed in the out-of-timeout play, which I think are super important in the playoffs because they're the only controlled setting and a way to score points. Uh, also, somebody who can develop a system that allows you to exceed maybe your talent at times, right? I think that's a big thing with the Raptors I see in this playoff series. And I think a little bit the Celtics, too, because the Celtics member are super young and raw, and they don't really have a center, and they're playing kind of these, like, really odd lineups. And, you know, not odd is the right word, but, like, different lineups where they're just, like, playing um, ties at center, and he's not really a very good center, but they are able to exceed and make things work with him. Uh, and then you have the same with the Raptors, where they're able to sort of um, – really dominant with two point guards, which is really hard to do, right? It's really hard to win NBA Finals with just your good guards. I mean, you ask any team 
outside of the uh, Isaiah Thomas Pistons in 1991. How easy is as a is a point guard your best player for you to win? I mean, Curry a couple years, but Clay and Draymond were better. Some of those even Durant was. I mean, Billups is one of those guys who was that way. So maybe Billups is more of an X and O guy than I think, or maybe he can bring somebody in who can really really draw up and do it well. But you know, I think you want a coach who sort of sees the game differently and understands how to maximize the five player pitch tab. Where Billups, I don't know, I feel like he has more of a name than actually a uh, like a like a behind the scenes, you know, grinder. But I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, Bill, like I said, was a great point guard, and I just feel like Bill's the kind of guy coaches the team that is already good, and you're just like he fits like, like the Lakers or like the Nets, same kind of concept, right? Those kind of really good teams that just need an, a kind of an adult in the room, right? Maybe even Philadelphia makes a lot of sense for him, right? Where they just they have lots of talent, they just need an adult to sort of say or a guy in a big moment or something like that to kind of rein them in where like the Pacers I think have a, a pretty mature team I don't think there's like a lot of immaturity there between Brogdon and Oladipo and Sabonis you know those big three and even Warren you know are pretty like you know humble players and not just like and they're very kind of understand I think when it seems like you know there's how to like how to treat their teammates and how to get the most out of players in a way like not to piss off other people or like that but they need somebody who can help ex- you know see their Help them see the game better in a way, right? That's the kind of coach they need. And I think that's kind of what Brogdon was has been kind of saying subtly um, when he gave those quotes to, to J. Michael was like, I think Budenholzer really pushes his players to see the game differently, right? In a way, now it wasn't very successful. He needs to play these guys more minutes, but he does, you know, think there's kind of a, like a a way where like you know pass up the long twos and see the certain openings when to when to delay, but not to when to shoot the three and whatnot. Where like. The Pacers don't, haven't had that, right? They haven't really had that X and O coach on the offensive and defensively they've had it, right? I think Mullen's a great defensive coach, and they've had great defenses. Now I think some of that's Dan Burke as well. But um, I just would prefer more of an X and O's kind of person. And, you know, I can read off Woj's list real fast, like that of all the people. But, like, I think a lot of these guys are, are X and O guys, or at least that's how they're kind of perceived, right? They're not the guys who work their way up through kind of their smarts, right? So you go from Hammond, Becky Hammond, obviously, Will Her- Hardy, who's with the um, – He's with us first as well. Dan Craig was one of the guys floated already. I think we uh, Tony and I talked about him a little bit. Tony did a little bit last week. Uh, Chris Clinton from the Heat. Dallas is Jamal Mosley and Steven Stiles. Uh, those would be Carlisle Disciples, which is really, I mean, Carl's a great coach from Milwaukee's Darren Hamm and Charles Lee, uh, who are both under Boonholzer. Orlando's Pat Delaney. Minnesota's David Vanderpool. Philadelphia's Ime Udoku. Uh, Brooklyn's Jacques Vaughn. And Portland's Nate Tibbetts. Now, Portland is streaming, obviously, because I'm assuming Tibbetts had some connection to Pritchard. Uh, in the past, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of those guys are more I would call like your traditional grinder coaches who pop, and the key is picking the right one because you know there's 12 names there. I bet one of them is maybe not an elite level coach, but a very good coach, if not more than one could be. So it's kind of the interview process, process and what you see. But I don't know. I think as We'll see how this winds down, right? I think the D'Antoni thing is going to play a huge factor. If D'Antoni's off the board, then I think this is a free-for-all, but I just think the way it feels, the way the, the world stuff is going is D'Antoni's going to be the Patriots coach as long as he gets fired by the Rockets not returning. Um, but if he does return, then uh, to the Rockets, then it's, it's wide open. I think that's why they're doing this interview search. I think, I think too, the part of it is they want to show they're looking at everything, right? They don't want to just, like, settle on D'Antoni before he even knows he's going to be there. They want to have all their ducks in a row. And I think this is kind of a similar analogy to me to the Colts' head coaching job right? last time. Right? The Colts, the Colt, I think, really settled on McDaniels pretty early in, in the process, and they didn't really do their due diligence. Right? They didn't go all the way across the league. Uh, and I think Frank Reich was probably actually a better choice from the beginning. Right? I mean, 
Frank Reich, I think, has been a very good coach for the Colts, and I think, you know, he's somebody who, I think even Chris Ballard said this, he didn't interview him the first time and understand why. You know, when he finally interviewed him, he's like, oh, this is the guy who fits the culture here, and that's what they need to do. They need to interview a bunch of guys and uh, and, and women, I get, uh, and Becky Hammond, and just figure out who is the best guy to fit with this culture, best guy or girl to fit with this culture, and make it work uh, going forward. So I think this will be interesting to see how this process goes. I don't know if it's going to, like I said, going to take days, weeks, or months. But uh, hopefully there'll be a new Pacers coach, I would hope, before the draft, right? So it'll be November 18th. So hopefully maybe maybe October we can hope for that, like beginning of October. Because I think you do want a new coach in there to help scout your scout draft picks. And the Pacers only have a 49th overall pick. But uh, assuming whenever agency opens and whatnot, there's going to be some moves. They're going to make some kind of moves in the next couple. You know, once all this stuff opens up, they're going to have to. So uh, it'd be important to get a coach sooner rather than later, in my opinion. So that's all I got for this Lockdown Pacers podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Pacers, me at FreeMadam5. My co-host, Tony East, will have a podcast for you guys tomorrow. You can follow him at TEAST NBA. That is all for his Locked On Pacers podcast. And we'll see you guys again tomorrow.